Before craft beer and before I met Merrill Lee and then sometime after Cardinals baseball and St. Louis Blues hockey, my greatest loves were history and nature. For a while in graduate school, I even toyed with the idea of combining the two disciplines and specializing in environmental history, but I stayed with the study of the American frontier, specializing in colonial and trans-Appalachian history. Influence on my philosophical thinking regarding environmental and historical subjects during these years included two scholars, each having wrote seminal works regarding the environment and the American frontier, and both of these men had connections to Wisconsin. Aldo Leopold was born in Burlington, Iowa in 1887, the grandson of German immigrants. From his father, Carl, young Aldo inherited his deep affection for the woods and streams of the upper Mississippi River Valley. In 1909, Leopold was one of the first students to graduate from the first school of forestry in the United States at Yale University. Over the next decade and a half, he was employed as a forester for the United States Forest Service in the Apache National Forest of the Arizona Territory and then the Carson National Forest in New Mexico. During this time, he wrote the first comprehensive forest management plan for the Grand Canyon. He also wrote the Forest Service's first game and fish handbook and a proposal for the creation of the Gila Wilderness Area, the first national wilderness area in the National Forest Service system. While stationed in New Mexico, one of Leopold's duties was to manage apex predators, that is, bears, wolves, and mountain lions, which at the time meant killing them to appease ranchers who leased land from the National Forest Service. He was troubled with this approach, and it wasn't long into his work that his ideology became one of an ecocentric ethic of wilderness stewardship, rather than the long-held Western civilization belief of human domination over the earth. His rethinking and advocacy concerning the importance of predators and the overall balance of nature resulted in the return of bears and mountain lions to the New Mexico wilderness areas. And this has continually been the goal of the Forest Service and the Department of the Interior when practicable to this day. In 1924, he accepted a post as Associate Director of the U.S. Forest Products Laboratory in Madison, Wisconsin. Nine years later, he was appointed Professor of Game Management and Agricultural Economics Department of the University of Wisconsin, the first position of its kind anywhere in the United States. Aldo and his wife, Estella, lived in a modest two-story home near the Madison campus where they raised five children, three daughters and two sons, all of whom followed their father's footsteps in environmental studies. The Leopolds purchased 80 acres of land in Sauk County, Wisconsin, a once heavily forested area that had been logged off, repeatedly burned over by brush fires, overgrazed by cattle, and left barren. Aldo took his land management ideals and he applied them to the reclamation of this property, keeping a journal of his progress, which he later turned into one of the most influential environmental works of the 20th century, the best-selling book, A Sand County Almanac. He had just finished writing the book in 1948, a few days before a wildfire broke out on a neighbor's property, and while helping to fight that fire, he suffered a heart attack and died. He was 61 years of age. Frederick Jackson Turner was born in 1861 in the town of Portage, Wisconsin, the son of a newspaper publisher and a school teacher. During his formative years, he was much influenced by the writings of authors Henry David Thoreau and Ralph Waldo Emerson, as well as scientific writers Charles Darwin and Herbert Spencer. Turner was also intrigued by the developments and advances in the science of cartography. He studied at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, where he graduated in 1884. He then earned his doctorate in history from John Hopkins in 1890 with his thesis, The Character and Influence of the Indian Trade in Wisconsin. But he gained his international fame among historians in 1893 when he presented a paper before the American Historians Association. The Significance of the Frontier in American History, 
often called the frontier thesis, postulated that the spirit and success of the United States was directly tied to the country's westward expansion. Turner expounded an evolutionary model that the United States, it was the individual or groups of individuals who were ahead of the government and these established society's rules and norms that were then adapted and adopted by later coming government structures. This model is unlike other frontiers, such as in Canada, Australia, and Russia, where the government was at the vanguard of expansion, establishing the rules before the individuals arrived. Turner argued that it was the West, not the East, where distinctly American characteristics emerged. The forging of the unique and rugged identity occurred at the juncture between that of civilization of settlement and the savagery of the wilderness. This produced a new type of citizen, one with the power to tame the wild and one upon whom the wild had conferred strength and individuality. As each generation of pioneers moved west, they abandoned those useless European practices, institutions, and ideas, and instead either found or developed new solutions to new problems created by their new environment. Over the generations, the frontier produced characteristics of informality, violence, crudeness, democracy, and initiative that the world would eventually come to recognize as American. Later historians have stated that Turner's thesis ignored gender and race, it downplayed class, and it left no room for victims such as African slaves and Native Americans. Others have criticized Turner's frontier thesis and the theme of American exceptionalism, which some have used to defend the uglier side of what comes with that theme and that school of thinking. Turner taught history at the University of Wisconsin until 1910. Then he joined the faculty of Harvard, where he remained until 1922, before he accepted a position as a visiting scholar at the Huntington Library in Los Angeles. He passed away in 1932 in San Marino, California. Turner gave a strong impetus to quantitative methodology, one of the first historians to ever do such, and he was also one of the first scholars to use new statistical techniques and data sets, which confirmed many of his suggestions about population movements. Now, because of his own biases, Turner believed that the amount of conflicting historical evidence surrounding topics was entirely too vast that any one approach to historical interpretation would be insufficient and that an interdisciplinary approach was the most accurate way to write history. Turner's ideas have never disappeared. Indeed, they've influenced others and even intersected with many of Aldo Leopold's thoughts on scholarship. A new field that emerged used the best of the two men. In the 1960s, environmental history became a school of thought. And it's an interesting question. Are we who we are because of genetics or because of our environment? Do we change the land or does the land change us? This is episode 45. Welcome to the Brews Traveler, exploring the craft beer scene across North America, one craft brewery at a time. And now here's your host, the man who gets more MPP, that's miles per pint, than anybody, Alan Tatman. Hello, everybody, and yeah, I know, you'd be like, where the heck have you been? <laughs> Welcome to the Brews Traveler. I am the elusive Alan Tatman, laying low and going slow for a few weeks. Uh, thanks for finding us out here in the podcasting universe. Uh, this week on the show, we return to Wisconsin, this time to Madison, the home of the University of Wisconsin, and Ale Asylum Brewing, the oldest production craft brewery in that city. I sat down a few weeks back and talked with co-owner, founder, and director of promotions, Hathaway Dilba, on that award-winning and respected brewery in a state that is both historically and contemporarily known for brewing some fantastic beers. Also this week, Tony Rehagen and I talked briefly about the rise and fall of Ballast Point Brewing and how that once highly and widely respected independent craft brewery has now become an expendable part of a multinational conglomerate and uh, where the future is not quite very certain. But first, I owe you an explanation. Why have I been AWOL? 
So, uh, <clears throat> a couple of things. Uh, actually, three. One thing is very minor. Uh, a few of the interviews that I did on my Texas, Louisiana, and Mississippi trip in April, well, for some reason, the disc that I put those on, it's corrupted, and uh, it won't let me open it. Now, it shows that they're on there, but it just won't let me open it. And I've handed it over to my friend, uh, my buddy Aaron. He's a computer nerd, knows a lot more stuff about this than I would ever do. And uh, he thinks he can recover it. Uh, he's working on it. Maybe he can. He said we could send it away, and it would cost, you know, hundreds of dollars to recover it. Uh you know, I said, you know what, it's, if we can't recover it, then I'm just going to have to redo uh, the interviews with some phone interviews. I'll call these guys back down in, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, in Texas, Louisiana, and uh, we'll get these uh, interviews going. So anyway, truthfully, I don't have a lot of material for episodes right now. I just haven't been traveling a whole lot. Uh, people find, don't believe that, but really I haven't. Uh, we did do that little short trip up to Wisconsin, and I'll get to that in a minute. But the foremost issue that I've got going on is, well, I just haven't felt very well. And um, you probably noticed that my output since getting home from the Texas trip just hasn't been what it was previously. And the truth is, I've just had more going on in my life than my energy levels have been able to keep up with. Um, it, that's very frustrating for me because generally speaking, anyone that knows me knows that I've always been up until recently, now that I'm in my late fifties, I've always been a high energy person, but some, there's some things going on physiologically with uh, me as I get older. I just hit 58 this week. And so, uh, the doc, you know, because I was feeling tired and run down, we adjusted some of my meds. And so there's always a reaction period getting used to your new medications and honestly I just didn't have the wherewithal I needed to produce a podcast that I thought was entertaining and uh, another thing I've been distracted with I've organized a tour to Ireland and th that group is over there right now and of course I'm here in Jefferson City I'm not guiding that tour I hired a friend of mine over there to uh, take care of them but this is the first time that I've had a group of this size over there that I'm not there with them there personally. So I have been over the last month getting everything, phone calls, emails, endless amounts to all of the different sites and everybody across the Atlantic there uh, at really weird business hours because, of course, everybody in Ireland is waking up about the time that I'm going to bed. And uh, so yeah, it's, it's, it's been a lot of stress. Uh, just getting that lined up. They're over there now. It's, things just looks like it's going well. Uh, I'm going to talk to Liam here in a little while tonight, and he's going to let me know, you know, just exactly how well the group's doing. And then the other thing I've been working on is the Gaelic Storm concert, which is coming up here in about six weeks. So the abbreviated answer is why I haven't had any episodes out is I've been busy and I'm tired. <laughs> um, I've also been working on another personal creative project which I'm not ready to publicly talk about yet, but it's coming along. So I've kind of been absorbed in that. And uh, that's occupied the part of my brain that is dedicated to uh, the creativity side of life. Uh, and then on top of all that, um, we did go up to Wisconsin here uh, at the end of June, right? After my last uh, episode that I put out. And on the way back, besides getting being tired, which I've been dealing with, I started having these headaches, and they continued to get worse after I uh, got home and went to the doctor and said, nothing serious. Uh, they, as Dizzy Dean once said, they x-rayed my head, and they found out there was nothing wrong. There nothing there. Anyway, so nothing serious. Seems that I have these chronic tension headaches, probably came on from driving uh, extended hours. Um, the thing about these kind of headaches, they tend to be self-attenuating. So that means if you, the more you fight against it, the worse they get. And really, when they start to flare up, the only thing you can do to get rid of it is to really kind of lie down and try to get some sleep. This isn't a migraine. It's something completely different. Uh, if any of you have ever had them, you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, uh, and then yesterday, the night before last, I should say, it was really bad and... I went to uh, the chiropractor over the Jefferson City Medical Group, Dr. Coleman, 
and he did some manipulation in my shoulders and my neck and it feels so much better and he thinks he can stop this cycle of muscle aches uh, getting into my headaches uh, but after today's treatment I feel a lot better it's still there I can feel it but it's not making me just want to crawl into a hole and tell the rest of the world to fuck off so <laughs> since I'm feeling better today I thought I'll take this opportunity to get an episode out so hopefully these headaches, they will dissipate over uh, the next few weeks, days or weeks. So anyway, but all of this got me to thinking. I, and uh, I'm going to pull back just a little bit. Uh, I'm going to go to a bi-weekly schedule on new episodes. Now, what this is going to do, firstly for me, it's going to take off some of the worry and stress about producing a new show every week. And some of my favorite podcasts, uh, Lore is one of them that I'm thinking of. They're bi-weekly. It's more of a storytelling type of uh, podcast rather than an interview. But what this will do is it'll give me a chance to get uh, uh, more quality uh, interviews. And one of the things I'm going to start doing is I'm going to do more phone interviews with people across the country that, like uh, I did with Kat Walensky of Vine Pair. I'm going to talk to people that are involved in the brewing in the craft beer business that are not necessarily craft brewers. I think that'll make for a more interesting show. And so this is going to give me a chance to do better content. Uh, and uh, like I said, I'm just going to back it off, at least for the summer, see how it goes to a bi-weekly, uh, bi-weekly schedule. And, but I'm going to give you guys something in exchange for doing that. I found out, um, I didn't realize this, but a lot of Bruce Traveler listeners are not familiar with my older stuff on the, excuse me, the history, the story of alcohol podcast. So what I'm going to do with that is I'm going to re-release some of those episodes from history, the story of alcohol on the Bruce Traveler feed, the history redo. I've done it a couple of times when, uh, in the past when I felt ill and, uh, I've done that and I'm going to add some uh, commentary to those, and I might do interviews with listeners who listen to the old show, and we might have like roundtable discussions about it. And it's something that'll be fun. It'll be a different format for you listeners. It also will ease me back into production of that type of storytelling, which I really, I really enjoy doing. I really do. And, uh, I just haven't made time to do it. So I'm going to put one of those episodes out every month. Once every month, I'm going to put one out. So that's something to look forward to if you're not familiar with the old podcast. I'm also kicking around a couple of other ideas I'm working on uh, in my head about things that might improve the show, make the show a little different, rather than just an interview every week with uh, a brewery. Uh, and then Tony and I talking about something. So going to add some new stuff to the show, kicking it around. Anyway, so one more thing. We've got a new member of the household. We got a new kitten. His name is Scout. We got him at the shelter. We've had him for a week now, and he's a wonderful little gray guy. We've got white mittens. He's, uh, he's fitting right in here with the family. Uh, Kilkenny, the, our older cat, she took a little time to get used to him, but they're playing together now. And Cody, he's like, Cody's just the gentle giant. He everybody's getting along fine so uh, I've been spending a lot of time with Scout teaching him the ropes around here like where the litter box is and uh, and yeah he's following me everywhere um, and uh, it's a lot of fun when you always bring a new a new pet into the household anyway so anyway uh, thanks again everyone for your support and listening and understanding uh, as I've told you before I don't do this for the money because there isn't any there's no money in this I do it because I love craft beer, I love to travel, I love history, I love to tell stories, and I love meeting people uh, like you who are just as passionate about those things as I am. And I know who that is. That's you. That's our listeners. And just tell your friends about the Bruce Traveler and how much you like it. And that means so much to us. Thank you again for listening and, uh, and keep on listening. Really, really appreciate it. And now, here's Hathaway Dilba. She's the co-owner, founder, and director of marketing for Ale Asylum in Madison, Wisconsin. And here it is, kids. This is your interview of the week. 
We're in Madison, Wisconsin, and if anybody thinks of Wisconsin, they always think of beer. It might be, besides America's Dairyland, it might be America's greatest producer of beer for a long time. And I am at one of their most prestigious craft breweries in the city of Madison. We're at Ale Asylum, and I'm here with Hathaway Dilba. Thank you, Hathaway, for taking time out of your day to sit down and talk to the Brews Traveler. Oh, thank you, Alan. It's a pleasure. Hey, what do you do here for uh, Ale Asylum? I am co-owner, one of the, the original founders of the brewery with a, a group of us, a small but mighty group of us, and I handle the director, I basically do the director promotions position. So I do public relations and marketing, um, social media, uh, we're doing a new website development and emails, and then I do other things like decorate the beer garden, plant the beer garden, help out with the, the front of the house, you know, okay. tasting room. Uh, how many co-owners are there involved in this project? Well, there, right now there are four of us that are here daily. Okay. Uh, there's the two main founders. It would be Otto and Dean. Um, Dean is our brewmaster. Otto is kind of our mastermind behind the branding on top of all of the other operations of the building. And then we have our head brewer, Chris. And then uh, there's actually one more that I should mention. Glenn Schultz is one of our founding partners as well, and he works in the brewery day-to-day -day management. So, how did you get involved in craft beer to begin with? I fell in love with craft beer when I came here to W Madison for undergrad in 92. I had a very discerning palate while my friends were drinking, you know, Zima malt liquor and you know, Jack and Cokes. <laughs> I was down, I was a little old lady drinking scotch and single malt scotch and water. It was a very weird thing. It was my fake ID downtown. Sure. I'm 45 now, I'm not going to worry about getting busted for this. <laughs> And I got turned on to Watney's Cream Stout in the basement of this restaurant called Portabella. I was in a uh, weekly card club there, and I showed up to play cards one day, and the bartender said, oh, we just got this new beer, and it's a stout. It's a cream stout. It's amazing. you got to try it. And I thought, oh, I probably don't like dark beers. I just started to get into Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, um, and I tried it. I fell in love with it. I spilled it on my jeans and it stains my clothes. And I said, well, that's the beer for me. I'm Irish, so. There you are. <laughs> there I am. Yeah, you, you told me you have a background. You're from the, or your family's from the South City St. Louis yes. Irish group. Yeah. Yes, my mom is from, um, well, my grandmother, great grandmother is from the Lima area. Right. And my grandmother, Rosie, uh, who's tattooed on my arm, worked in a bar in the Lima near the Merrimack River for years. And so when she passed, we brought her ashes down there, and there was like 55 people gathered that I didn't know who they were. <laughs> One of our listeners, Richard Callahan, he's a retired judge uh, in the state of Missouri. Uh, he's from that neighborhood. Oh, he, he and okay. his brother Doug. So well, her name was Rosie. Rosie Berry. She had a mouth like a sailor and chain smoked. I'm sure that that really narrows it down for you. But <laughs> <laughs> so, um, how did the how did uh, Ale Asylum get started here? Ale Asylum actually didn't start in this facility that we're sitting in. It started where Carbon 4 Brewery is now. We opened our doors May 19, 2006. So we've been around for a little bit. We moved to this facility September of 2012. So we've been here for some time, seven, seven years, years or so. Yep. Yeah, almost. It's flown by. I can't believe So that building was 8,000 square feet. Now we're in a 45,000 square foot building on five acres. What's in the name? Where did that come from? It's a great question. So. Otto, I mentioned before, is kind of the mastermind behind the branding. And the irony is, is that he was actually in school to be an actuary and decided that's too boring. Who, who wants to walk into a bar and meet somebody and say, hey, I'm here to be an actuary. You know, it just didn't seem very sexy. Sorry for all the actuaries out there. So he also has this amazing right brain, left brain thing where he's super creative. And so he found that um, going to school for communications was more his jam at UW. He's a UW graduate. And he has a very strong background and got hooked up in an amazing ad agency here called Planet Propaganda. He worked on the account side, but through osmosis kind of brought in the copywriting skills from there and uh, the, the graphic design skills. He's really self-taught in those two realms. And so when we started this business, his right and left brain worked in tandem, and he thought, well, I want to come up with a name that lets the consumer decide what Ale Asylum means to them. Does it mean an insane asylum? Does it mean a safe place to be? That's up to you to decide. Right. We don't really pick a lane there. We let people pick the lane. 
Uh, and then also, Ale Asylum is going to be at the top of every bar list, bar menu Big list. Double a. Yeah. Right. So that, that's where that, that man's brilliance came <laughs> forth. Many other ways, but that's one of them. So, how big is uh, the brew house? How many barrels? Brew house is 33 barrels. 33 barrels. Yeah, the original one was 13. Okay, that's quite a jump. Yeah. What's an annual production? Uh, right now we're around between the 20 and 25 mark. Okay. And um, dis distribution? We are in mainly the whole state of Wisconsin. Right. There's like a little sliver we're not. Uh, and then we are in the Twin Cities, okay. which is our newest development. And then we are also in the Chicago, like greater Chicago area. Okay. Uh, cans, bottles, both bombers, uh, all of the above. Yeah, uh, mostly cans now because mm -hmm. of not only its sustainability but also uh, the shelf life is better. We do not Abs absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. We do not pasteurize, so it works out better to do it that way. Um, so t tell us about your uh, portfolio here. They, sure. Well, first start with this. You, I'm drinking a session hazy IPA. What's yeah. the name of this? That's called Plush Crush. It's very nice. It's refreshing. It's got a nice balance between bitter plus what you expect in a New England style. It's sure. very citrusy with uh, some hints of grapefruit. Sure. And that's uh, fermented with London ale yeast. That's what creates a little bit of that softness. Yeah. And it's um, it's very dry finishing. Yep. Um, a lot of times I see a lot of the New England styles now, they're going towards a sweetness. Mm -hmm. And I like the drier finish on them. I this, do too. This is really good. I do too. Another great example of that in our portfolio is our Hefeweizen. Okay. Uh, Dean worked 20 plus years as previous brew jobs trying to perfect working with Hefe yeast. Right. And he always says they're like trying to train a cat. And he <laughs> finally wrangled the, the cat for, uh, for this particular recipe. We had some German tourists visit and they said about our Hefeweizen, that that's it's dry, it's crisp, it's where it's supposed to be, it's what I expect in Germany. Right. They come here, not only are they throwing a bunch of fruit in there, but it's got this viscous finish to the end. So we're pretty proud of being able to create that dry finish on the recipes where they need to be there. That so. will be my next beer. <laughs> Great. Um, the rest of your portfolio, do you have any niches that you go into or kind of you cross the board? You mentioned that you don't do any sours, you don't do any wild yeast strains. No. So that's a, that's a fear factor thing. I understand. Yeah, um, Dean is a purist, our brewmaster, okay. and uh, he, we traditional started styles. very traditional in the spirit of the German purity law. Okay. So we mainly in the beginning stuck with ales. Right. We started with our flagship American Pale Ale. We got really a lot of notoriety for that. We introduced a stout. We wanted to have something for everybody, the malt minions. Right. Then we started developing a Belgian portfolio that is out of this world. And he immediately started to realize that, wow, you know, I, I can really, I can really hone in and, and figure out all these different styles to make with just these four ingredients. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna make this a good challenge for me. Right. And he's done a fantastic job. And as you know, from what you do, uh, you know, owning a beer bar, craft beer sure. bar, uh, the younger generations that have come in, their palates want more. They want different. Um, they're promiscuous. They're promiscuous and they're fickle. And I'm not saying anything bad. I'm just saying this is a, just a new development for us old dogs in the industry that are trying to trying to figure it out, get the thumb on the pulse of this new market. And we realized that we had to start introducing things out of our comfort level. And one of the things that we just developed for our anniversary is a white stout made with a local chocolatier who's a been on the Food Network several times. Right. Uh, we use her cocoa nibs, Gail Ambrosia's chocolatier. Uh, she was on Alton Brown. She's amazing. She's a good friend of the brewery. And then we use co um, coffee beans from Anodyne Coffee, which is a boutique coffee company in Milwaukee. That, so we were able to get out of our comfort level, but it felt good because we sourced really cool ingredients for it. Right. But we made jokes about Dean having to be tied up in the corner somewhere. <laughs> But you know what? He showed up for the anniversary party for the release, and he was just as happy about it as everybody else. Things you just got—you can't get into this business and think you can't be a fuddy-duddy. You gotta keep going. You gotta keep changing. We're, we're kind of hoping that we can get some more of these fun little projects. We did start a series called A Wall Series, Asylum Without Limits, where our brewing staff can come up with recipes that are outside of his limitations. Right. Um, the only rules are they have to be vegan. Um, and we need no honey or, you know, horse, <laughs> this stuff that you've heard of everything, right? Right. right. And then uh, 
it can't be introduced. You know, the wild yeast that right. could infect right. and, the berry. And that's you know, yeah, yeah. If you've got un, if you got honey, you could introduce a, a wild. That could bring in a wild. That e- could too. Yeast, yeah. I, I I heard it's a little bit more rare, but it could. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. I, so, when did you start with uh, ALA Simon? Right when we started. Okay, so you've been here from the beginning. Yeah, so my background is in marketing. That's what I went to school for. Mm-hmm. And that's how Otto and I met when we, he, he was at Planet and I was on the um, working for a dot com. And this was before social media was right. around. This was before email marketing was really a thing. Right. And he brought me in to be the marketing gal Friday. And uh, we really didn't have anything for me to do in the beginning. So we had all our, our collateral, our menus, and everything printed. There's no social media. We didn't have an, we didn't certainly didn't have a marketing campaign. Who did when they opened up a brewery or a, a budget? Um, so I started out on the, on the bottling line, and okay. I worked the bottling line until we had enough money to kind of build a marketing budget and start doing some guerrilla marketing. And then Facebook came about, and the whole world changed. Broke, yeah, it broke with excitement. Yeah. So. That's when things kind of started to ramp up. So, in all that time, what was the worst day? I can easily tell you what the worst day was. Single worst day, there's going to be two of them, and I'll quickly bullet point. One was that my business partner, Dean, was working the bottling line, and a bottle broke and slashed his jugular. And oh, my God. we literally thought he was going to die. Like, that was... That was, and he's fine. He's standing over there. He's healthy as can be. He's healthier probably than anybody in this building. Is that him? That's him. Yeah. Yeah. So he was in surgery. The best part is we went to go pick him up at the hospital. He wanted to go back to the brewery to check on the bottom line. <laughs> so he's okay, folks. The second one was the uh, right when we opened around 2007, there was a huge hop shortage. Oh, yeah. You remember yeah. that? Yeah. And we were just little guys. We're still little guys, but we we're just little guys. And our hop purveyor at the time said, well, I guess the only option you have is to contract out. It's going to cost this much. And it was a lot of money for a startup, especially one that wasn't in the black yet. So we had a a wonderful group of people that pulled in money and saved our lives and we were able to get out of it. But it was really sad because a lot of breweries were folding. Right, they were, yeah. Yeah, it was heartbreaking. Yeah, we got through it. We got through it, but it was scary. So what was the best day? The day that Dean walked out of the hospital? Um... (laughs) You know, I just say there's so many best days it would take me way too long. Uh, okay, I would so say the, what prou- was... the proudest day would be the yeah. ten year anniversary. The ten year. Yeah, I yeah. think we had that benchmark, and Dean and Otto and the whole building basically did a huge uh, cheers out in the patio, and there was probably 150 people out there, and there, we have a picture of Dean and Otto holding up pints way up in the sky, and it's just a great picture. Fantastic. Yeah. You've been in this now for uh, 13 years? Yes. Tell us something about the industry or the market that you've learned that really surprised you. Uh, That there was a boom. Um, You know, we rode high as Madison's really first microbrewery for quite some time. Mm -hmm. Uh, We had a great, we do have a great brew pub here in town called Great Dane. Right. We have another one, you know, the Vintage Brewing Company that's now grown into a brewery. Uh, but for years we were the first, and all of a sudden now we're one of, and I don't know exactly what the count is in Madison right now, it's got to be oh, close to 40, including right. all the nanos and the small little pocket breweries and pop-up breweries. So it's a little, it's a little you got to keep your head above, above water a little bit differently. Right. Um, you got to stay poised constantly. Well, I asked my buddy Brooke Scott uh, in Chicago, he works for Patagonia, and he's yeah. like my beer scout because he, he goes all over the upper Midwest with his job. And I say, okay, I'm in Madison. Where do I need to go? And he said, Ale Asylum. Well, cheers to you, Mr. Scott. Thank you so much for that. <laughs> he, uh, I'll buy you a beer next time you come by. Uh, so I'll tell him, you know, uh, introduce yourself to Hathaway when you come in. Yeah. So from the marketing perspective, because I don't, I, I, I'll be honest with you, when I interview people, I'm usually usually interviewing brewers, mm-hmm. or I'm interviewing owners, not that you're not, but I don't often get to really talk to somebody that has the marketing background. Sure. What do you see as the challenges in the industry from the marketing perspective? Um, a lot of what I said before is just making sure that you stay on top 
uh, I mentioned before, I'm a little bit older on the marketing scene, and social media came out when I was well in, you know, in my 30s. So, making sure that we stay on top of all the latest um, rhythms of social media, the ups and downs, what to do, what not to do. Um, Instagram's the big thing now. Now we got to figure out, you know, different yeah. ways to grid on Instagram, and just making sure we're staying relevant, and also creating a, a healthy healthy environment you know that we could use the the brewing staff as a lot of our content marketing people right. want to know that Brian Smith down there that's kegging what what is what makes him tick what's he listening to in his headphones what is he what does he eat when he goes home for dinner they want to know everything about the people in the building and what's hard is a lot of our guys are like I'm not talking to you about that stuff so just trying to to really bust this open as much as I can without impeding privacy it's Tim, uh, the guy that does my, uh, he's my social media consultant. He's always after me. You need to be on, you need to be on more. You need to be posting more. You need to be on Twitter. You need to be on Instagram. You need to be putting more Facebook live. And that's just not me. <laughs> I, yeah. it's, it's changed so much yeah. since uh, I was involved in, the, in this, in, in marketing back sure. in the 80s and early 90s. It's I'm changed so much. I used to write press releases back in the day, and now we, we email. They're all digital. They yeah, have beautiful pictures. Yeah. I remember sending press releases to the local newspaper in a cab. Right. I typed it out on a typewriter <laughs> several times. I mean, sometimes you had a copy machine, sometimes you did not. And then you proofread it, read it sometimes you had to retype it, and you put it in a cab, a courier. Yeah. I mean, now and I can Yeah, I can send press releases all over the world with so one button. Kids. These things we had called facsimile <laughs> machines back in the 20th century. It, right. it was like a copier, but it sent it to another place across the universe. And it kind of like email, but on paper. So, yep. yeah, we had that. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> that's funny because that's exactly, I mean, that's. Yeah. Between, there's many, many different things oh, now that gosh. we do differently in marketing oh, that, that would not have happened. So. What can fans of Ale Asylum expect? Anything new and exciting coming along in the very near future? Yes, but I cannot oh. tell you. Isn't that horrible? Oh, well, I understand. Yeah, Is it, can you just give us, like, just a little hint? Something's going to release within a month that we've never done before. Okay. It's a whole new, opens up a whole new world. Okay. Um, but we're very much still the same old Ale Asylum you okay. know love. Um, we are independently owned. Right. Um, we're very excited about okay. just things. You know, we're, it, it's a nice place to be. We're starting to do things like we're, we're fermenting with Kawik yeast. Uh, we're doing a um, imperial uh, hazy double uh, IPA on December called Neon Nebula. So okay. we're experimenting with different yeast strains. And, Fabulous. Yeah, but we're gonna launch something that's pretty unusual for us pretty soon here. So. Well, You'll if ever, everybody, if they, if people want to know what's what's happening, they yeah. need to be following you on Facebook, Instagram. Yes, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. What's your uh, tag? Um, well, some jerk on Twitter stole at Ale Asylum, even oh. though I tried to get it back many, many, many times. Uh, we are at Ale underscore Asylum okay. for Twitter and Instagram, and then Facebook. What is, you know, we got the vanities. URL with Ale Asylum after Facebook. Thank you, Hathaway, Thank for taking you. time out of your day. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. Now we can clink. <laughs> and that's it. Thanks again to Hathaway for sitting down and talking to us about Ale Asylum. It was pretty busy there, and there was a bad thunderstorm coming through uh, Madison while we were there. Uh, we were down, we were up in Door County, and I wanted to go. Uh, Door County Brewing up in Bailey's Harbor. I wanted to go interview them while we were up there. I just didn't have time. Uh, I can tell you this much. Uh, I'm going back to Door County. That had been the first time I'd been there since 1988. And I forgot how beautiful it is up there. It's like northern Minnesota uh, along Lake Superior, uh, except uh, there's no black bears. Uh, some, uh, some crazy coons, raccoons. We had... Uh, uh, we had a raccoon we camped one night and uh, he was really brazen he came up and was eating the dog's food while we were sitting around the campfire 
it's another story. I'll get into it some other time. But uh, anyway, uh, thanks again, Hathaway, <laughs> for sitting down and talking to us about Ale Asylum. Surprisingly, Madison as a city was kind of late getting into the craft beer scene. And uh, Ale Asylum is the oldest production brewery in Madison at uh, only 13 years old. But uh, they've got some great beers and really good food, too. And if you're up that way, please go check them out. You can also find out what's going on, and they're going to announce that new announcement here soon. I've been checking the website uh, on a regular basis, and you should too. The website is aleasylum.com. Hey, ha, da, 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 yeah. ha, hey, Cardi on scale of What's the rumpus? Now it's time for What's the Rumpus with Tony. What's going on in the world of craft brewing? On the phone with freelance writer Tony Rehagen. How are you, Tony? It's been a few weeks. It has, man. We've been we've been kind of cross, crossing paths and getting all traveling and everything, but it's, well, been, it's been a little too long. Yeah, I mean, like, you've been there, I've been here, and uh, so, yeah, I'm sorry we haven't been able to get together. Uh, how was... Uh, how was everything out in New England for the Blues uh, winning it, the Stanley Cup? It was fantastic. I, it, but the problem was, is I was in, uh, we were in Portsmouth the night of game seven. Um, and I was, of course, a little bit in my cups. Uh, and I was with my, my brother and sister and, and my wife. And we were sitting in a bar full of Bruins fans. And so of when cor- they scored the first, yeah. go ahead. Of course. Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Yeah. And so as soon as they scored that first goal, I was like, uh, we need to get Tony out of here before he gets us killed. And so they kind of, Hustled the check over to me, and we kind of went back to the hotel room and watched the third period and watched it all. Watched it all come down. <laughs> I knew it. I wasn't getting mouthy. But, I, you know, I was, knew I was it. Demonstrative. I, I was demonstrative. S- I said on the show, I said, I wonder if he had to watch it in a hotel room. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Well. No, they escorted me. My my siblings thought better of it. Like, yeah, we better get him out of yeah. here. Yeah. We're gonna wow. kill. I was starting to get some side side glances. Yeah, it's been a few weeks and since we talked last, and. Uh, what uh, what have you got for us this week on what's the rumpus here? Well, uh, this this one will start with uh, with a horror story. Um, this comes from uh, the people at Good Beer Hunting, a website, and writer Brian. Oh yeah, Roth, does, yeah, I like their job. stuff. I want to interview them sometime. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But this starts with the scene of uh, thirteen hundred barrels. That's thousands of gallons of wood aged beer being dumped down the drain at Ballast Point Brewing Company in San Diego. Right. Purposefully. Uh, this this is the maker of Sculpin series of West Coast IPAs. That's kind of what they're best known for out here. Um, they also have Victory at Sea Imperial Porter, which is fantastic. Um, but the primary reason they were dumping this is because the corporate owners, which is Constellation, um, which are the importers of Corona and Modelo, they didn't have the marketing resources to really push these quirky, obscure little labels. Um, and so it's kind of indicative. Uh, it's indicative of the larger experience of corporate ownership. And it, and it kind of a cautionary tale of what can happen when, you know, your favorite indie craft beer uh, gets picked up by the big boys. Uh, it's kind right. of, it's the worst case scenario of what you imagine. Yeah. I mean, it's profits before production. I mean, you know, yeah. they didn't, the, they didn't want to waste, they didn't want to waste uh, inventory space on something they didn't think they were going to be able to sell. Exactly. Exactly. And I mean, and it's, it, the real crime of it is, is like Ballast Point was like, one of the originals. I mean, they were founded way back in 1996. Yeah. They, ex- they exploded, expanded, you know, did the, did the whole thing like 10 years before everybody else did, you know, they expanded to other production facilities, had tasting rooms in 2008. They even got into the, the spirits, uh, the spirit making business. Like everybody, all the brewers are doing now, like, you know, gin and other mixers and they went public, uh, in the first San Diego brewer to do so. And that's out there, you know, where stone and, and, and firestone are, um, but then, like less than a month after they they went public, uh, there was the announcement that they were going to be be bought by Constellation for a million. Uh, for, I think it was one one billion dollars. It was one billion dollars. Yeah, I mean it was yeah. it was it was stupid money. Uh, yeah, I mean insane. I mean it was like, okay, they're great they're great brewery, but are they worth one billion dollars? Right. I mean, I, Sour Winch is a great beer, and Sculpin Series IPAs are great beers, but. Really, are they worth it? I mean, I don't know what Constellation was thinking. I guess they thought they were going to take this and they were going to turn it into their craft beer flagship brand, uh, like to go alongside Corona and Negro Modelo and etc. But uh, yeah, a billion dollars for a craft brewery. 
and that's the, I think that that's both a red light uh, as what was coming in. And the idea that, like you said, that they may not have really known what they were doing because, uh, you know, less than a year later, the founder, Jack White, and the CEO left to, quote, pursue other interests, even though mm-hmm. it, it was kind of widely reported that they were they were split with Constellation over the the, spilled, the the distilled spirits operation, which wasn't part of the sale. Right. But then, I mean, almost immediately, production fell by about 110,000 um, barrels over the next two years. Um, and the story uh, reported that it's on pace for its third straight decrease in sales. Uh, employees have left, uh, like longtime marketing reps. 20 people have been laid off. Uh, the, depart- the departure of the marketing gurus left the company with no internal marketers. That's all now, you know, taken taken by corporate HQ in Chicago. Um, and you know, as the story points out, those guys are, are into pushing Modelo and Corona. They're not they're not into pushing these craft IPAs and and blondes and things. Well, that's that's true with a lot of distributors. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, I mean. I hate, I've seen it. I've seen it happen a lot. You know, you'll get a really good craft brewery and uh, it'll get bought up by, you know, one of these companies. And then the distributors that they've got, uh, that these that these big conglomerates have agreements with, the distributorships are just not, they're not craft beer oriented. They're just right. not. They're, they're, their core brands are what they've already been selling, whether it be, Corona, Negro Modelo, Pacifico, whatever it might be, or, you know, Bush, Bud Light. So, yeah. yeah. So, you know. No, and that's, yeah. yeah. And that overextending themselves with that $1 billion, I mean, that, that, that cuts back. I mean, they've discontinued perks like employee discounts, monthly gift cards for the employees. They, they used to have like shift beer for like a policy for, for workers to get a free pint every workday. And that, that's, that's gone. Really? Um, and it, really? Yeah. Yeah. They, that, so they're that, cutting, they're cutting all pint, that. I mean, a pint really a day for every, when you a consider pint. the volume that we're talking about Holy here. Holy. Um, it's, really? it's almost unfathomable uh, really? why they think that's, you know, that's good business. Well, a pint a day for your workers at the end of the right. shift. That's just too much. While you're dumping all these gallons of beer down the drain. Fucking bean counters. Just give me just give me a barrel to take home and I'll be I'll be happy. Holy <laughs> Yeah. But it, and Roth points out in the story too that most people associate this sort of thing, like you were saying, with the mega companies like Miller Coors and AB InBev. Um but I think and you know, to whatever uh, you can say good or bad, obviously. Uh, there's plenty of bad with the good, but it's pretty apparent that like these guys at least know the business well enough to know that uh, to get out of the way of their acquisitions. And a perfect example of that is AB InBev and what they've done with Goose Island because um, it's everywhere. Like oh, instead yeah. of, you know, the, there are the downsides of corporatization. I mean, there's outsourcing, there's streamlining, but they, they try to balance that stuff by like really capitalizing on the advantages of joining a corporation, right. uh, like, like creating like, you know, building bridges between brands. I know we could, we could weed. They, they let him kind of go to Atlanta to do something uh, outside of the brand. Uh, but in increasing pay and benefits, uh, capacity, and I mean, you know, around here, I mean, Goose Island is everywhere. It's in every it, gas station. And, and, it, and it's, it, it's it is, good. it is now. It's, and it, it wasn't before, but yeah, they have a, they have a, they have a greater national presence. It's a, it's a greater national presence as a brand. I mean, you can even look at Blue Moon in that same mm-hmm. regard. Um, yeah. Yeah. Line and Kugel. No. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, and that's and like I had a Bourbon County Stout, uh, you know, a Isn't few months they, ago, and it, oh, it was awesome. I've still got a bottle of that. It's, I, I, I've still got a bottle of that from this past winter. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm holding, on to, I'm, I'm holding on to it. Yeah, it's in a cool, dark place. So. Yep, that's awesome. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I don't know if you listened to uh, my interview with Kat Walensky. But, uh, you know, she, she is the, the belief, and I'm coming on board with her way of thinking more and more, is that um, these bigger craft breweries are going to either be shrinking uh, or there's going to be more consolidation. But she thinks the real growth in the craft beer industry is going to be in the smaller local breweries. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, because you, you see it all the time, these, these stories, these, these homebrewers get into it for the excitement. They, it's all right. about community. Right. It's about building the, you know, the brew pub about, and then they kind of get, they get enticed by this. Like, oh, you know, you can, you can do this with your brand. You can, you can get here, you can go there. And it really becomes, it stops being fun. It right. stops being, you, you lose the passion of what you're doing. I mean, it's, it's completely understandable. Right. Yeah, you know these guys. They get you a small local brewery, and then you know they grow and grow and grow and grow, and then something. Either you continue to grow, 
or you have to consolidate and follow the new Glarus model. By the way, stopped and saw Dan up at New Glarus oh, nice. while we were in Wisconsin. Yeah, he uh, he still says that was the best interview I've ever done. He or nice. he, he said that. So uh, that was a great episode. Yeah. Um, and do that. And speaking of that, uh, I've got some sad news from uh, Patrick Turner. He's one of our listeners. He's in Santa Fe. He just sent me a text, and uh, uh, the guys out there said uh, they're getting ready to. Uh, they're going to pull out of Missouri. Oh man! Yeah, it's not. I know. Well, we were the furthest east they went, and they're not a huge brewery. I can mm-hmm. understand it. I don't know how many accounts. Uh, they had, I know, uh, I, I really don't know how many accounts they had in the state draft, uh, draft accounts. Uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of their beer and I have been for a long time, but, uh, I understand. I mean, it's just the way, I think it's just the way that the business is going. There's so, there's so much competition out there for shelf space and for tap handles. And that's just yeah. the way it's going. Yeah. And you don't want to have to, to overextend yourself, but mm. man, that means, uh, yeah, that means before this episode airs, I got to get out and start buying up all If the you Santa can find Santa Fe, yeah, we can't get kegs right now because they had, uh, that's another story for another time, but they had ordered some new equipment to come in from Germany for keg, their, uh, for their keg line. And, mm-hmm. uh, it didn't pass inspection, uh, getting Oof. it through customs. So, uh, they didn't. They just don't have. They don't. They did. They uh, didn't have the capacity to uh, get out to all of their. Uh, to get out to all the markets, so they're just concentrating on New Mexico until they get this new keg line up. Damn. Uh, but now I guess they've decided to take it in another direction. I look forward to going back out there. I hope uh, maybe next year. It's not going to happen this year, but maybe next year get back out there. Uh, Absolutely. A couple of other things uh, <laughs> you, 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 uh, you'll find amusing. The walk-in cooler at the pub, which we installed, uh, the brand new one, state-of-the-art in 2005, we installed it and has been running every day except for a relay uh, breaker that had to be replaced back in 2009 or something like that. It has uh, served us faithfully for 14 years it went kaput on 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 Fourth of July. We weren't open on the fourth, but we got there yes on the fifth. We got there and uh, it was sixty one degrees. Got it fixed oh, yesterday, wow. of course. So we had nothing but canned and bottled beer Friday and Saturday nights, and so you know, Murphy's Law. Anything yeah. that can go wrong will, and Patty's addendum is it's usually happens on a Friday. So. Yep. <laughs> And one other thing I want to share with the listeners, and while I've got you, I want to tell you this, because everybody knows how much I love the Anheuser-Busch Bud Light commercials that say they don't use any (laughs) corn syrup, okay? Driving through Madison, Wisconsin, as big as all get out, right? As big Mm -hmm. as the second coming of Jesus. Right there on a billboard in the middle of Madison as the exit that you get off for the university, there's a billboard that says... Proudly brewed with corn from America's heartland. Nice. Bush beer. (laughs) Bush? Beer. Bush Bavarian beer. They were, I mean, no, it was Anheuser-Busch billboard. Yeah. uh, Saying how proud they were to be using corn in Bush beer. That's how you know. That's how you know you're a big, big worldwide conglomerate. That's how you know you're you full of advertise two completely different messages at the that's same time. That's right. You're. That's how you know you're full of. <laughs> yeah, it's just. Oh yeah, it's just. Yeah, it's. I was like, I laughed. Marilee was sleeping. She's like, what? I go. She had gummage. I wish you'd have seen this. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't. Monkey loving snakes on a plane. Believe it. Anyway, that's awesome. Ah, yeah. So, okay. Well, got anything else? Uh, no, not not for this week. All right, man. Tony Rehagen, freelance journalist. Thanks, Tony. I appreciate it. Thank you, Alan. We'll talk to you next time. All right. See you now. You've been listening to The Brews Traveler. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or check out our website, thebrewstraveler.com. Cheers. Cheers, everybody, and thanks again, folks. That's it. Thanks for listening. 
Please follow us over on Facebook and Instagram at the Bruce Traveler Podcast. Send me a message. If you've got a question or suggestion or an idea, please let me know. Or you can send me an email. Cheers at thebrucetraveler.com. Please go over to iTunes. Give us a five-star rating and a glowing review. It would mean so much. The soundtrack for The Bruce Traveler is so graciously provided by our friends Gaelic Storm, who are going to be here in six weeks. Thursday, August 29th at the Mill Bottom Event Center. You can get your tickets over at pattymalonespub.com. General admission floor tickets are only $30, and it's going to be one hell of a party. You can also check out everything else that's going on with the band over at their website, gaelicstorm.com. Marketing consultation is provided by Mission Digital Marketing. So, until next time, if I don't see you at the pub or your local tap room, I'll see you right here on the podcast. Drink locally, think globally, take care of each other, take care of the earth, it's everything we've got. And merrily as always, you are the measure of my dreams, honey, I love you. So thanks again, everybody, for listening, and so long for just a while. Tough life, full of toil and strife, we whaler men undergo. And we don't give a damn when the rain is stopped, how hard the wind does blow. We're homeward bound from the Arctic ground on a good ship torn and free. And we don't give a damn when we drink our rum with the girls and all my way. Once more we sail with the northerly gale through the ice and sleet and rain. And the coconut fronds in the tropical lands we soon shall see again. Six hellish months we've passed away in the cold Kamchatka Sea. And now we're bound from the Arctic ground, rolling down to Omawi. Rolling down to Omawi, my boys, rolling down to Omawi. We're overbound from the Arctic ground, rolling down to Omawi. We'll heave the lead where old Diamond Head looms upon Oahu. And our mast and yards are sheeted with ice, the deck is hid from view. The horrid toil of the sea cut ice all the decks are raging sea Our miles behind are from the frozen winds as we sail to Old Maui Rolling down to Old Maui, my boys, rolling down to Old Maui We're home around from the Arctic ground, rolling down to Old Maui How soft the breeze of the tropic seas, though the ice is far astern and the native maids in the foreign glaze are awaiting our return. Even now the big black eyes look out, hoping some fine day to see. A baggy sail running for the gale as we sail to Old Maui. And now we've anchored in the bay with Kanakas all around. With chance and soft aloha, the greed is homeward bound. And now we're sure we'll have big fun, we'll paint them beaches red. We'll awaken the arms of a wahine with the big fat aching head Rolling down to Omawi, my boys, rolling down to Omawi We're home bound from the Arctic ground, rolling down to Omawi Rolling down to Omawi, my boys, rolling down to Omawi We're home bound from the Arctic ground, rolling down to Omawi Had they been other than who they were, they might have written a new mythology here.
as it was, they took inventory. Frederick Jackson Turner, historian, from his work, The Significance of the Frontier in American History. Born November 14, 1861, Portage, Wisconsin. Died March 14, 1932, San Marino, California.